The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognise that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A Prime Minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, today we have a special programme for you all about whether the weather could get even more extreme as the world heats up. We'll be speaking to expert voices on climate change. But first, let's catch up on the situation in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin's forces have occupied the site of Europe's largest nuclear power plant. That's after an overnight fire that the government in Kyiv accused Russian military of causing by shelling the area. Ukraine's nuclear regulator says that plant personnel were monitoring the state of power plants uh, to ensure safety protocols were maintained. But it highlights the danger of conflict in a country with 15 nuclear reactors. Well, Boris Johnson spoke to Ukraine's President Zelensky early this morning and is seeking an emergency UN Security Council meeting. The Prime Minister says that Putin's reckless actions, in his words, could directly threaten the safety of all of Europe. And the Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab says that the Russian president's strategy isn't going to plan. The early part of his military campaign has stuttered and stumbled. It's not been as effective. Uh, I think there's been a lot of pushback uh, amongst the Russians that, that this isn't what they uh, had expected. This isn't what he'd sold. He'd said it would be a cakewalk into Ukraine. That clearly hasn't happened. Well, it comes after the UK imposed sanctions on two of Russia's wealthiest men, Alisha Uzmanov and Igor Shvalov, as it steps up, uh, as we step up, measures to punish people thought to be close to Putin. Well, let's move on to the subject of today's Friday special. With attention and Bloomberg's coverage focused on the war raging in Ukraine, you may have missed a warning from the UN that the window is closing to stop the world from heating up. And while the weather in the UK has been pretty benign this autumn and winter, that all changed in February with the Met Office issuing a string of red and yellow warnings for storms Dudley, Eunice and Franklin. Well, the storms brought strong winds, rainfall and flooding with power outages and a number of deaths. Climate change may only heighten, though, the threat of extreme weather. Recently, I spoke to Richard Allen, Professor in Climate Science at Reading University. I started by asking him how much we can pinpoint climate change change for this recent spate of storms in Britain? Well, there's no compelling evidence that storms like Eunice Dudley or Franklin are, have become more common in the recent period or will become more common in the future um, as the climate continues to worsen, uh, become warmer. But the, um, the impacts of these storms, particularly the flooding, will worsen because um, sea levels are rising as, as temperatures rise. Um, and this will make coastal inundation worse, like we've seen. And also the intensity of the rainfall will become even worse as well. So that will um, exacerbate flooding in the future, like we've seen in the UK and the UK's River Severn. 
Yeah, so hard perhaps to um, you know pinpoint climate change to each and every storm. But as you say, um, the three storms that we've had in February battering the coastal regions in particular, how do we protect then our coastal regions in terms of climate change? Is the Environment Agency up to it? Well, yes, I think I mean, the Environment Agency is well aware of and is planning for climate change, as are many local councils and councils and governments. So, of course, storm surges um, will need defences um, strategically. Um, flooding needs preparedness, so you need need the forecast to be good, but also have in place ways to um, mitigate the um, the effects of the flooding, so barriers and things like that. So it, it's about adapting to climate change, but also, of course, it's extremely vital that we mitigate climate change. And by that, I mean rapidly and drastically cut greenhouse gas emissions such that the, we limit the amount of warming that we can expect in the future. In London in particular, it was the first time since the warning system began in 2008 that London specifically had a red weather warning in force. And actually, I was looking at some recent research from Zurich Insurance, and they've mapped out all the commercial properties uh, in London and their risks from heavy rainfall. They found staggering numbers, 126,000 commercial buildings at risk of flash flooding in London, Almost half of all basements which are used by businesses are threatened also by flooding. So this is a very real, very kind of practical problem. Do we need a big redesign, especially of our big cities? Well, that's a good point. In fact, the red weather warning was for wind. It wasn't for flooding um, in London. Um, But you're right that you can get intense Rainfall can lead to flash flooding. So rather than river flooding, it's where the water just accumulates in um, hollows and low areas and basements, as you mentioned. So, again, um, there will be, you know, it's not my expertise in terms of designing cities, but there will need to be very large adaptations that are specific to cities and adaptations that are specific to countryside. So and to protect against flooding, Um, in the future, which will only worsen as we continue to emit more greenhouse gases. Climate seems to be changing more quickly than we are adapting to that change. That seems to be a key worry. Well, climate change is progressing extremely rapidly and it's been expected based on the computer simulations, the observations and the the understanding of the physics of the atmosphere um, why this is the case. So we know what's going on, and that's why it's so urgent that countries come together um, and collaborate um, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And it's something that requires collaboration across scales, so from the individual up to the council and companies, up to cities, like you mentioned, but also, of course, countries. And that's why it's so important that countries need to collaborate and work together rather than engage in conflict. COP26, there was a lot of triumphalist um, rhetoric from British officials and others in the wake of the UN Climate Summit in November. Is that all a bit of a nonsense, um, given the, the speed of climate change and the need to do so much more than what countries actually committed to? Well, I mean, there, were some, there was some tangible progress made at COP26. So I think it was worth celebrating the small successes. Um, relating to you know, methane and phasing down coal and 
cutting deforestation. But, of course, you know, we need to be more ambitious if we're going to limit climate change to below levels that are deemed um, dangerous, which is you know, 1.5 degrees C above pre-industrial times, or if that's not possible, 2 degrees C above pre-industrial times. And it's only with more ambition in cutting greenhouse gases down to net zero, where we're actually emitting um, the, sa- the same or less than the, the ground and the oceans are actually taking up in terms of carbon dioxide. It's only if we can get to there by mid-century that we will avoid these, this dangerous climate change. What faith do you have in the government's commitments to climate change for Britain uh, in terms of measures and trying to reach net zero emissions for the UK? Well, I think based on current progress, um, the government need, the governments need to do more. So they need to ramp up their ambition. They're, they're quite ambitious compared across lots of different countries around the world, but they need to be more ambitious. And that goes for all countries around the world. They need to work together to achieve this, this global catastrophe that's unfolding. Do you think that we are going to be able to stay within the one and a half degrees Celsius danger zone? I mean, I was reading a recent report from Professor James Hansen, who's the NASA scientist, who was one of the first scientists really to sound the alarm about global warming. He says that that the world will breach that that number, at least according to kind of the latest reports of his research, and that that could happen actually this decade. So, so there is you know considerable danger. Yeah, I mean, there is a slim chance we can make it. We need to be aiming all our resources to, to making that. And if we can't make 1.5 degrees C, then 2 degrees C is the upper limit. Um, of course, the, the, this is defined as a 30-year period where the global temperatures are above these levels. So an individual year in the next decade could easily breach that value, but that's not the same as what's defined in the, in the Paris Climate Agreement. It's got to be a, you know, it's defined as a, as a long climatological period of 30 years that breaches mm. this, this threshold. If there is one thing that the UK could do in the face of, you know, the climate change that is taking place, the threat of it speeding up, the storms that we've just talked about, what would it be? Would it be, you know, coastal defences? Would it be upgrading homes so that they're more energy efficient? Or is it getting rid of the cars on our roads and trucks that still, you know, pollute with petrol and diesel? Well, there's, there's, no, there's no silver bullet. It's got to be all those things. Um, it's got to be across all sectors that we decarbonise our economy. And we've got to move rapidly to um, away from fossil fuels, so away from heating our houses with gas mostly, got to move away from um, not just from petrol burning cars to electric, but also reducing car use and making more sustainable transport. Mm. Um, But of course, the other aspect is we've got to work with other countries. So, for example, one aspect of the COP that was very useful was countries working together to help others like South Africa had a um, countries working bilaterally to help to pay for poorer countries to transition to away from a fossil fuel economy. So it's got to be all these things. It's got to be within your country, but it's got to be working across countries as well. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th 
a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's go back to the subject of today's special programme, all about how climate change may contribute to extreme weather in the UK and elsewhere in the world. Now, if you missed the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change whilst understandably watching Ukraine, that is, in a way, something that the hundreds of authors worried about in compiling the 3,500-page document. Among the worst-case scenarios analysed for future global warming is a world where a resurgent nationalism, as the scientists put it, concerns about competitiveness and security and regional conflicts make global collaboration nearly impossible. It focused uh, on the interplay that connects warming-driven impacts such as heat waves and floods to human society. Well, let's take a closer look at the report and what it means for the UK. First, we're joined by our Bloomberg Green reporter, Akshat Ratti. Thanks uh, so much for joining us, Akshat. Now, UN scientists are warning about the breakneck speed of global warming, uh, exceeding the pace of efforts to protect vulnerable people, billions of vulnerable people, in fact. What are some of your key takeaways from the report? So it's an absolutely massive report, and we should realize that it's not just 3,500 pages long. It's also a synthesis of 34,000 studies, which hundreds of scientists have given years of work to be able to put down. Um, and if I were to do a, a single takeaway from that document, which is a very hard thing to do, but it's a, it's a very powerful message, it's that... Um, you have to think about climate change in every aspect of life because our world is being changed by the warming that we are creating. And every aspect of life has to adapt as well as uh, try to cut down the warming speed. That is the core message uh, from that report, mm -hmm. that there is a world that will be created because of the impacts of climate change. And that world could be um, not as bad if we start acting on how to adapt to it today. Okay, but of course, the change, the adaptation, it rests on people. And you have written about how popular opinion is often driving climate change policy. Is there enough hunger for meaningful change I mean, here in the UK in particular? It's a good one. This is a study that was published uh, two weeks ago where scientists found that most of our analysis on climate um, uh, scenarios is tied to economics and energy and infrastructure and we rarely are able to take what is uh, admittedly a very difficult part which is what would humans do in reaction to climate impacts um, but if you look enough and you're able to quantify that what well, they found this is a first-of-a-kind study that taking into taking into consideration human decision-making um, you see people doing more on climate change and that the world ends up being less warm than what current scenarios are saying. So it's an optimistic message, but of course that is based on theory. It has to be turned into practice. And that is why this week's report, despite the war, is one that we should not be ignoring. Now, this report was written before the awful events uh, in Ukraine, but the scientists are already warning about countries becoming more isolationist, weren't they, that war and nationalism could... Um, could hurt uh, climate change efforts. What, what's, what's the evidence for, for that? So this is where, you know, 
in a time of war, it, it, it interacts with every aspect of human life. It has affected Ukrainian scientists who were involved in writing the report. And I had the uh, fortunate uh, um, time to be able to talk to one of them who mm. was sheltering in Kyiv uh, this week and is still there. And she said, there is one aspect that uh, connects both the war and climate change, and that's fossil fuels. Uh, in her words, she said, Russia is choosing to use the money that it makes from oil and gas, not for helping its people, but for committing war crimes, as she put it, uh, on Ukraine. And so there is a connection, and that is a true connection, between uh, where we see the world heading uh, and where we need to go away from, which is away from fossil fuels. Aksha, thank you so much for being with us and for your reporting. Very interesting to hear about your direct contact with, with the scientist, Bloomberg's Green reporter, Aksha Ratti. Well, let's broaden this out now and look at how climate change is affecting our experience of extreme weather across the world. Joining us now is Robert Votard. He's director of the Institute Pierre-Simon Laplace, a member of the World Weather Attribution Group. Now, the WWA conducts real-time analysis of extreme weather events as they happen, helping to make clear the connections between CO2 levels and extreme weather. Robert, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. What are your thoughts on, on the IPCC's latest report? So happy to be with you. Um, I think the, the report highlights uh, uh, several things, several important things that uh, were said by my colleague, but also one very important is that uh, the impacts of climate change and the, the manifestations of climate change are already here, and we are just seeing the beginning. And uh, the beginning is already a lot, especially in terms of extreme events. Uh, so... Uh, I think this is very important that risks have already changed, increased in most cases and sometimes decreases, like, like for coast health, but increased in, in many cases. So we have to take yes. that into account. Okay, so change is upon us already. How do you decide, how do we decide whether extreme weather events are actually connected to greenhouse gas emissions? Is that even important? Yeah, I think it's extremely important because then it puts, uh, uh, it, it puts facts uh, behind, uh, it, it attaches facts to observations and it puts observation and models uh, on what we, we, we witness every day and, uh, and try to link that with numbers. So I think it's extremely important that we we have this link. Sometimes we do not have a link, uh, but in most cases that we study, we, we see links with climate change, with extreme weather events. And can you just explain for us, I'm sure it's pretty complicated, but can you just explain to us how, how you do that? How do you make that link? Yeah, well, it's pretty simple, actually. Uh, we, we first look at uh, uh, what has been observed. We have an event, and then we... we we try to see if it's exceptional or not, how it is, uh, uh, how it is hitting uh, and producing impact. But also, very simply, we, we use simulations with and without uh, the uh, exceeding uh, greenhouse gases that have been emitted since the pre-industrial era. And uh, we, we look at the difference. And uh, the difference, especially in, in the likelihood of, of such an event, uh, 
So then are we overall, are you registering an upward trend in these extreme weather events where climate change is the determining factor? Yeah, in many cases, especially for heat waves. For heat waves, it's absolutely uh, uh, without any uh, doubt uh, or without any uh, uncertainty. For instance, the uh, the latest heat waves we had in Europe, but also in Canada and uh, everywhere in the world. I mean, we 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 could see an, a change which is due and which is due to 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 this increasing fossil fuels uh, emissions. So uh, this has been assessed uh, scientifically with numbers. Uh, for heavy precipitation, also we do see. Uh, a, a change that is uh, uh, due to, to climate change also, but it's a little bit uh, less obvious in several regions. And also we have fires, we have uh, uh, several more. Um, Richard Betts, Professor Richard Betts, one of the uh, lead authors of the IPCC report, says that the UK is very much not adapted to climate change and not prepared. What should we be prepared for in, in the UK in terms of extreme weather events over the next few years? If I had to uh, uh, summarize it in a, in a sentence, I would, I would say extreme precipitation uh, that could not have been seen before. And anyway. also the, the, the coast, the, the problem with the coast will be, uh, will be, will be a lot. Uh, the, the coastal effects uh, and the coastal effects of uh, of the increase of uh, the sea level. So it it meaning that uh, uh, UK will experience uh, extreme uh, water levels in the future, which have not been seen currently. So rising and sea levels will, and yes. coast erosion and, and and heavy rain and and flooding. And what about cities like London? Will there be particular effects uh, for, for London? Well, it's difficult to say. We need to 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 go in the numbers, and I and I cannot uh, uh, give numbers uh, right now. But certainly, uh, what we know is that uh, the uh, the level of um, sea level rise uh, by the end of century should be about for from half a meter to one meter, and uh, with possibly higher due due to uh, other phenomena like storms. So I think this has to be taken very seriously, at least uh, closer to the sea than London. Okay. Are you concerned about a lack of global thinking coordination, even with COP26? Yes, I am. I am. Uh, Because climate change is apparently a slow process, but it it needs urgent action because greenhouse gases are accumulating in the atmosphere and the temperature is uh, a result of this uh, accumulation. So it doesn't disappear if we, if we stop the emissions. It, it just stays as it is. So uh, it's urgent to, to, to mitigate this accumulation and the effects on temperature and other effects. So it apparently seems not so urgent, but it's absolutely extremely urgent. We have only a decade of current emissions if yes. we want to reach the 1.5 degrees. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, 
A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.